Greetings and welcome to part two of Reggae Uprising podcast financial special. This podcast is all about connecting people of the diaspora through knowledge, inspiration and stories all backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music. Now, for those of you that tuned in last week, you will know that this is not the regular format for Reggae Uprising podcast for these couple episodes, as I usually have a new guest every week, but I felt there was so much information to be shared on finances that could help our community. I couldn't squeeze it all into one hour show. So I had to make two parts. If you haven't already listened to part one, I recommend you listen to that first. So go tune into last week's episode. Also, if you enjoy tuning into Reggae Uprising podcast every Wednesday, you might enjoy my other weekly shows just as much. As well as being a host, I'm also a singer who produces reggae shows, Reggae Uprising every Monday and High Vibes Friday every Friday. Now, if you want to go view them, you can go to Facebook Daniil Music and Instagram Daniil Music. And I'll also leave those links in the description for you. Before we get started today, I would like to add a disclaimer that my guest is not a financial advisor. I repeat, not a financial advisor and that these are just their personal opinions. The statements and opinions discussed by my guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of myself or Reggae Uprising podcast. Reggae Uprising podcast and I do not take any responsibility for the views of my guest. Right, let's pick up where we left off with award-winning entrepreneur, strategist, speaker, broadcaster and BBC producer, Marisha Stevenson. Um, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Luciano, Your World and Mine. Why did you choose this one? Because I think that's the world that we're in at the moment. Um, again, you know, it's a bit of an old school track, but it always just makes me think of the fact that sometimes we forget that we're all in the same world and, and, and you know, you have the butterfly effect. What happens in one space, in one place to one person ricochets, whether it's energetically or physically, through to others around you. So, you know, it's just a little reminder. You know, it's your world and mine. <laughs> all right, here we go. Yes, we can do it if we only agree. 
Imagine that everyone could feel as much as you'd like to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And imagine if everyone could learn to show each other respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be for you and stock market proved its vulnerability with the COVID-19 crisis where billions of pounds, dollars, you name it, were ripped from company shares. So people will be nervous about investing in stocks and shares and pension schemes. Um, Now, traditionally, we were always told to save for our future. But as interest rates are basically nothing at the moment, what would you recommend um, if people are you know, looking to invest their money? Okay. So my disclaimer number one, <clears throat> I'm not a financial advisor. So I, I, it is not my place to recommend a financial product in that respect. What I would be saying to people is if you have the means to invest, it's not necessarily a bad time to invest, but you do need to be mindful of what you're investing in. It's always good to invest for the medium to long term and not the short term. The stock market's taken a battering, but then as a consequence of that, there have been associated products that are also not so great right now. So it's really about people doing their due diligence. There's nothing wrong with investing in stocks at the moment. You just need to be mindful of the types of company that you're investing in. Um, because what you want to try to do really is focus on companies that are recession-proof, but recognise that so is everybody else who's investing in the stock market at the moment. So you may find that prices are slightly artificially inflated because actually we're at a point where everyone's going, ah, tech companies, tech companies are doing okay because everybody needs tech at the moment that they can't actually see each other. We're all socially distanced. You know, we're doing everything on Zoom and Skype and teams and all the rest of it let's invest in those companies well loads of other people are doing the same so do be mindful of that but i would definitely say put it to you like this i don't i don't um, advise on specific ways to invest as in i don't i don't advise on product because i'm not qualified to do so i'm not a financial advisor however I do run a program called Get Your Money Working For You. And the purpose of that program is to teach people how to understand the type of information that you need in order to make a decision on what kind of investment works for you. You see, one man's meat is another man's poison. So for one person, the stock market will be the place where they relish and they love it. And for somebody else, it's too volatile for them and they need 
to invest in a different way in order to feel comfortable with their investments. So if you understand what decisions are used to make an investment, the different types of investment that's linked to it, the risk profiles that are associated with those types and what your personal risk tolerance is, then you put yourself in a position where you can develop a portfolio of investment that is suited to your income, your level of risk and the opportunities that are available to you. Okay, so could you give examples for people that maybe the stock market seems a little bit too scary for them? Could you give any examples of of things that are not such high risk? Yeah, so a very good example of that is purchasing bonds. Really easy to buy bonds. That could be government bonds or corporate bonds. A bond is effectively a loan. So when you per- so if you if you purchase a government bond, what you're doing is you're lending the government money, um, and then what will happen is is that you know it's not a, it's not a massively high interest rate, but it's pretty much guaranteed. Nothing in the world of investment is 100% guaranteed, but it's much lower risk than, say, a stock market investment. So a stock market investment is obviously um, linked to speculation. If people think a product is worth less, they'll pull their money out of the stock. That means your stock is worth less. With a government bond, when you purchase it, the government will say, at the end of 12 months, we will give you I don't know, 5% return on your money. They'll give you your money back plus 5% on top, and it's all good. Now, the only negative with that at the moment is that government bond rates are not too great because a lot of people pulled their money out of the stock market and started buying things like government bonds. And that's brought down the value in general of a government bond because the government was a bit like, hold up a second, you're lending us too much money. So depending on where you are in the world, um, some government bonds now are actually in negative uh, in negative. Um, percentages, i.e. by you lending that government money, you're actually paying them to lend them the money because you will not get a higher return. You lend them £100, they're giving you back 98 So, as an example. So, generally speaking, bonds are much lower risk, but you will not, you know, everything is about risk reward. So, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to be a millionaire off buying government bonds is the reality of the matter whereas to be fair you could become a millionaire from stocks and shares you know but it's much higher risk okay so in terms of those people that might have um savings in ices and stuff like that would you say um to leave it there or to maybe think about doing something else with that because obviously the interest rates have just completely dipped um generally speaking you see anything that okay there's two main types of ISA. you have cash ices and stock ices the reality of the matter is a cash ISA isn't really worth anything anyway and i don't mean that in a bad way it's just that you know cash doesn't create cash in that way so you're not gonna you'll get a basic interest rate but you're not gonna earn anything major from it people who take cash ices out tend to be people who are very risk adverse that's fine um stocks and shares ices right now will be worth less because the stock market obviously has dipped that to me is exactly the time to leave your money where it is if if you don't need to take it out don't um leave it because the stock market will rebound sooner or later you will you will recuperate that money but and that's why i say it's important to understand how to make decisions around investment so you know stock market investment is very much about thinking of the medium to long term it's not a get rich quick scheme right um what do you feel about the the landscape moving forward after the coronavirus in terms of 
borrowing money for like houses or even a car do you think it'll become more expensive or less expensive what are your kind of predictions on that it's already more expensive it's already more expensive so there's two things that are going to happen people who are credit worthy and have maybe got access to a decent amount of cash it is going to be a fantastic time for those people because they're going to be the people who can get access to mortgages property prices are probably going to dip at some point because what's going to happen is if we're not careful a lot of prepossessions and things like that could be happening if people are going to be struggling to pay their bills you see at the end of the day everything may be held for three months but it doesn't mean it's going to be held forever so um so for people who have got access to credit and you know equity and cash they're good for people who maybe are on the lower end of the credit worthiness market um it's going to be a bit of a tough time it's already more expensive to borrow if two months ago you could buy a house with a five percent deposit now they want 20 percent it's already happening. Um, same thing with vehicles. You're going to find that, generally speaking, borrowing is going to become a little bit more expensive. And the part of the reason for that as well is because there's going to be a lot of people who will try to exploit what's coming up. So you're going to have a buy-to-let market that's going to want to buy as much up as they can. So I can promise you that those rates as well are going to increase. So everything's going to be a bit more expensive for a while. Okay. Um in my opinion anyway <laughs> right because obviously we don't know these are just predictions it's kind of everything's all up in the air so um yeah no absolutely so what do you think the state of insurance will be um when there are so many um insurance companies you know um, going into trouble because of covid19 claims um i.e life insurance people who've insured against maybe being unemployed and you know um what do you think the state of that will be once the lockdown is over? Well, I suppose it really depends on actually what people are covered for um, and, and how they're covered. I mean, a thing to note is that a lot of insurance policies, um, depending on what they're for, and that could be anything from your vehicle insurance to a life insurance policy to a key man insurance or a business interruption insurance policy. Um, it's all about what you're covered for. And a lot of times you'll see clauses stating that um, natural disasters, for example, epidemics, pandemics are not always covered for. So um, there is a question mark as to really what the impact will be on the insurance industry. I mean, the reality of the matter is, is that, you know, if the insurance industry is going to take a hit, then we'll take a hit because moving forward, all of our policies across the board will end up just being more expensive. Um, so I think it's, I think the question for me is not so much how it impacts the industry because the industry will find a way to survive. I think the question mark becomes how it impacts you as a business and it's intriguing because I think if people have got insurance at present and they benefit from those policies, they will obviously continue to operate in a space of being insured. I think if you have, say, a business interruption uh, policy and actually it's not covering you right now, that may make people question whether it's worthwhile having that kind of insurance. I think what I would always say about insurance is that 
it's always going to be worthwhile having. It's important for you to understand what it is that you are covered for and to understand the fine print. So as an example, um, travel insurance, I had a trip to New York booked in the middle of all of this, um, which obviously got cancelled. But before I got anywhere near it being cancelled, you know, just a recognition that actually this was turning into a pandemic. One of the things I did was I contacted my travel insurance company and I said, right, let's be clear from now. What am I covered for? What am I not covered for? And what needs to happen for me to be in a position where I'm able to make a claim? And um, their answer at the time to that was, if there is a government directive that you cannot travel, we will pay out. If you cancel your trip because you're not comfortable to travel, then we're not going to pay out. Okay. Now I know the stipulation. Now I know what I'm looking for. So in all honesty, when it actually came to the point where I was due to go to New York, uh, Trump said, no flights can come in now, not even from the UK. In all honesty, I didn't even have to contact anybody. They contacted me. Right. So the important thing with policies, and I think the lesson to learn from what's going on now when it comes to a policy is to understand what you're covered for. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I have insurance that ticks the boxes and it doesn't necessarily cover you for the things that it should cover you for. Okay. Um, after this, with the interest rates still dropping, would it make sense for people to remortgage in order to get the lower rates? Now, I know you already said previously disclaimer you're not a financial advisor but what you know just to get your opinion would be great depends it depends you don't necessarily need to remortgage to get a lower rate on your mortgage um it, it's not necessarily the case it just depends on what kind of mortgage you have so if you're in a fixed term deal then you're not going to be able to change it generally speaking you'll have to carry out that term um Interest rates have been pretty low for a long time, to be honest, before all of this even happened. So realistically, there were a lot of people that weren't necessarily paying um, massive extra amounts on their mortgage is anyway, to the point where at one stage, where having a fixed rate for a period of time was attractive to the consumer, there became a point where it became attractive to the bank because if rates were going to drop, at least they could still hold you at the rate that you agreed to pay for a period of time rather than the rate that the government said that you could pay. Do you see what I mean? Um, so what I would say is at this point, I would argue this. I don't see the point in, I don't think you need to remortgage unless there is a reason why you are trying to pull money out of your property, frankly. Um what maybe you're making reference to is rather than a remortgage is a refinance, which is a slightly different thing. So um, if you're refinancing a deal, that really is just you saying that you're changing your lender in order to benefit from a lower rate. If you're in a position to do so, yeah, why not if it's going to save you some money? But at the moment, as I say, I actually think that rates in general are actually going to start to go up for mortgages in banks. So you might find that you can't actually get a more attractive rate necessarily. Um, that's not going to be the case for everybody across the board, but I think that's something to be mindful of. Um, so, you know, at the moment, if you don't have to do anything in that regard, my, my humble opinion is 
you know, wait to see how the landscape changes because you could go and do a refinancing deal now and then actually in six months' time um, the deals are even better and then you're not in a position to refinance because you will have been in your new deal, um, well, not for a long enough period to move elsewhere. Um, And then the other thing to note is that when people refinance, that can change the rules of the game. So to give an example... Um, when you purchase a residential property, it's often the case that you'll get a stipulation from the bank that it could be anything between six months to two years that you cannot um, rent that property out, let's say, or turn it into a buy-to-let deal or what have you. And the bank do that to safeguard themselves. Let's say for argument's sake that you've been in a mortgage arrangement and so far you've been in it for five years and you come out of a fixed term. So actually, yes, you are now in a position where you can refinance that deal. You refinance that deal and then six months down the road, think, hang on a second, a great opportunity's just come up and I would love to um, put my house up as a, a buy-to-let and go and get another mortgage somewhere else for another house. You may not be able to do it because of the new deal that you've just put yourself in that puts you back into a period where maybe for six to 12 months or 12 months to two years, you cannot um, change the nature of your mortgage agreement. Does that make sense? So I don't think people should necessarily just make knee-jerk reactions to these things i think it's important for you to think about what your medium to long-term plans are and then how your current arrangements fit into that plan and whether it has the potential to scupper it okay okay um we're going to move on to your next selection which is louisa marks sixth street why did you choose this one do you know what uh, this is a song where It just makes me think of my mum, and not because she was the woman down the road, but because, (laughs) but because she just loves this song. Um, And you know, when I came across it in my, I was looking through my personal selection um, to make my choices for today. And when I came across it, I just was like, nah, this is a song that I just remember my mum singing at the top of her lungs. So it's in honour of my mum. Here we go with Louisa Marks, Sixth Street.
Now, what industries do you feel will be most affected either in a positive way or in a negative way by the coronavirus crisis? Do you know what? I think some industries will struggle to rebound more so than others. I mean, you know, there's a couple of obvious ones. I mean, if it's tech, for example, hey, you know, tech's on to a winner because what's happened and what's happening is we're all changing the way that we are shopping. We're changing the way that we are communicating. We are changing the requirements that we have for our businesses. And if this wasn't already happening very quickly because of various services that are available to us online, the acceleration of that has just gone tenfold. I mean, how many people have done their weekly shop for the first time online or ordered something that they would never have thought of ordering previously from a website. So, you know, tech is obviously onto a winner. You know, bricks and mortar uh, based businesses, i.e. ones that need physical premises in order to operate, obviously in this period of time have, have, have been losing out. But I have to say, for me, I don't think it's just as straightforward as what industries um, will grow and which ones won't. I think part of it comes down to how creative the individuals within those industries are. There's always going to be an opportunity to grow your business and to grow your venture. The question is whether you're choosing to look for those opportunities or whether you're not. And, you know, to give a very good example, um, fitness experts and... um, and personal trainers you know right now there'll be two camps there'll be the personal trainers that have gone that's it i've got no clients they can't come to the gym anymore and so now for the next however many weeks i'm just gonna work out until i can go back into that space and there are personal trainers who looked at their clients and said right on monday morning i'm gonna see you online and we're gonna still kick out this workout that we do every week anyway Um, And I really do feel like actually it's about the different attitudes that people take. I've seen people who operate in the same industries take very, very different positions and some that have gone, I can't do anything and they've ground to a halt and others that have started to adapt, started to move things online staying in touch with their customers right now even if for example hairdressers they can't do your hair but they can get online and they can start to give you some instruction on how to do it and the question i would ask anyone is let's think about it like this which hairdresser are you more likely to return to the one who supported you through this period or the one who's left you to it waiting for you to come back when the shop's open again yeah that's that is most definitely true Definitely. Um, but with with what you said, what about what's your imp- opinion about, like, for example, the leisure industries, i.e. pubs, restaurants, clubs, the tourism industry, where they haven't got that option. Um, and and they and after lockdown, they are going to be more likely to be the last to allowed to, you know, go back into business. Do you think they will actually survive because of that? That depends on what shape the business was in before lockdown. Um, The reality of the matter is, is that, I mean, I'll be honest with you, for me personally, I have no problem with lockdown. And I say that because 
Um, I think in terms of personality type, I think I'm referred to as either an ambivert or an omnivert. But in a nutshell, I am both um, introverted and extroverted. So I can be the centre of a room when I'm in when I'm around people, but I thoroughly enjoy my own company. So being honest, I don't feel hemmed in. I don't feel like lockdown is making me go crazy. I'm not sitting here rocking backwards and forwards thinking I cannot wait to get out the house. I'm actually fine with it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm okay. Converse to that, there are people right now that are really struggling. You know, one thing I will say that's actually very strange, though, I say all of that, and, you know, I think if somebody said to me right now, what's the one thing you miss the most? I would say hugs, because I'm a hugger. I hug people all the time, and it's the one thing I've noticed that obviously you can't do. So outside of that, though, there are people who are itching to get back out and itching to socialise. So I think in, in reality, if you have a business that was in pretty good shape, before all of this kicked in and right now we're probably furloughing their staff and you know have been able to have conversations with landlords about maybe either reducing rent and they've got some kind of maybe saving in place and they're diversifying their business i think they will get through this period and i think they will thrive thereafter why because there's going to be less restaurants because the ones who and leisure facilities because the ones that were in borderline kind of all oh, we're just about making ends meet um will be the ones that fail in the interim and and do you know what this is where businesses i say to people all the time you must recognize that your household is an economy your own house is an economy it is a miniature version and businesses and household economies operate in the same way if you are living hand to mouth that means you can't you're going to struggle when you don't get one week two weeks three months income you will fall into trouble during a time like this. If you've operated your business and said, now, where's that? You know, we have an emergency fund within the business and we actually can last up to six months without necessarily having the same level of income. You'll survive this period and you'll thrive on the other end of it. So this is all about how the business went into lockdown, which will dictate whether it comes out. So in terms of the people that might be employed by those businesses, do you think they should... Um, maybe think about moving into another industry or uh, maybe even go to a rival that <laughs> they think is, is is more likely to do well? Do you think people should, you know, preempt this kind of thing? Um, if they can. I mean, depending on the business that you work for, it's not always something you can preempt. Um, and I say that because it depends on how much information you're privy to. I mean, you know, large private organisations, whilst they produce their um, their profit and loss accounts every year and, and report their earnings, they don't necessarily have to tell people what position they're in. It's different if you're working for a large public organisation because they must declare what state the business is in. But large privates don't have to do that. Um, and private organisations in general don't have to do that. So it is possible that people are working for companies that they don't necessarily know are on the breadline. You know, you don't always know these things. I think I think as individuals, what's always important to do, and this period just highlights it, but I think it's important to do anyway, is 
people should have an awareness of what their skill sets are and what diversification that allows them to have. You know, the reality is that we'll do a job for a period of time or we'll work in a certain industry for a period of time and we'll tell ourselves, well, that's the only industry that I can work in. But often that's not true. Your your skill set could actually be relevant to lots of different industries. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be, have a level of loyalty to their employers. You know, ultimately... There's nothing that says, I've got to jump ship tomorrow. But what I do think people should think about is if I need to diversify or if I need to move or if I need to make a change, what actually am I skilled to do? And actually, am I in a position to earn more money than I currently do? Because one thing I can tell you that I've found in my experience is a lot of people undervalue themselves. So, you know, I'll be frank, as a businesswoman, I will ask somebody the question. If I want someone to do a job for me, I'll ask them the question, how much would you like to be paid? And the reason why I ask them that question is because nine times out of ten, their answer is less than what I'm willing to pay. Wow. Okay. People undervalue themselves. So I think it's very important for you to have an assessment of your skills and understand what that allows you to do rather than telling yourself what you think you should do when you could potentially be holding yourself back. Okay, with that with that in mind, um, in terms of people devaluing them, themselves, or maybe, you know, with the with what's going on at the moment, do you think after lockdown, after the crisis has kind of subsided a little bit more, do you think there'll be a bigger gap between the rich and the poor? Do you think it will grow 100%. even wider? Hundred percent, definitely. But here's what I think will be the real gap i don't think it's necessarily just as simple as the rich and the poor i think it's going to be the financially educated and the financially uneducated that's when the gap's going to grow because the financially educated are the people who are not panicking right now they have a better understanding as to what's going on around them that means that they have a better understanding of how to exploit that and they also have a better understanding of how to survive it people who are not educated about what's going on are the people who may very well fare worse because they're not going to see the red flags when they appear. So the example that I give is, like I say, the government has developed a package of service. Who's asking themselves the question, why are the government doing that? And I'm not saying that the government's got some kind of conspiracy, don't get me wrong. I'm saying that At the end of the day, economic decisions are economic decisions. So the government is not propping up employees and self-employed people and businesses and industries and the stock market for no reason. There are very clear reasons about why they are doing it. And it's important, I think, for people to start to garner an understanding of why. Because what ends up happening is people don't understand why. They don't seek to understand why. And then at the end of it, you start to hear statements like, oh, you know, that's it. The government don't care about us. They're just trying to screw us over or this and that and the other. Or banks are not bothered about, you know, my business because it's not this, because it's not that. That's not always the case. It's often the case that when you understand how the system works, you can understand how to exploit it. It's like making a cup of tea. If you don't know the ingredients that go into the cup of tea and you don't know the way to work it, let's say you try to make a cup of tea with cold water. 
and you can't understand why the tea bag isn't such isn't you know saturating this water in the way that it should and giving the taste that it should is because you don't understand the ingredients and the method that goes into making that cup of tea when you do not only can you manipulate that cup of tea you could even get buck wild one day and say you know what i'm not even going to put milk in this one i'm going to put a lemon in it today <laughs> and it's still going to taste good do you get what i'm saying yeah so this is where i say this lockdown period is a time in my opinion, for people to educate themselves so that you are in one of a few positions. Either you can benefit from what's going on now or you can limit the damage of what goes on now and or you can be in a better position next time. Because if anybody looks at history, the one thing you'll know is this. We have a recession these days about once every decade if you look at the last 50, 60 years, there has been a recession of a varying length and depth at least once a decade. The 80s, the 90s, the noughties, the teens. Here we are. We haven't even got into the 20s. It's the beginning of the decade and that recession is about to hit. So history says this is going to happen again and it might not be a pandemic that causes it. Who knows what could cause it? It could be a natural disaster. It could be anything. But the question is, how prepared are we as individuals for, and particularly our finances, how how financially flexible are we? And I can tell you, even from my perspective, that I'm looking at what's going on now and going, well, listen, you know, even this wasn't part of my business continuity plan. Okay, I'm not worried But I certainly know that the next time a recession comes around, I'm going to be even better equipped to ensure that I really can fully take advantage of what opportunities will present themselves. So we all have something to learn, no matter where we are in this journey. And even if you're in a position right now where you're going, you know what, I'm in debt, I'm struggling to make ends meet, and this is stressful. If the only aim that you have is the next time this happens, you got three months of income in the bank where you can say, you know what, I've got a few months where I don't have to panic about how I'm going to pay my mortgage and my bills. You put yourself in a better position. Most definitely. Um, what about those people that maybe have invested in property abroad, like, you know, they're trying to go back a yard or something like that and they've invested in property abroad. Do you still feel that that's a good investment? Yeah, why wouldn't it be? You know, the thing is, there's no such thing as a bad investment. There's a, It's about an investment that works for you. And I use that phrase because don't get me wrong, we can make bad choices <laughs> when it comes to investment. But it's all about what your intention is for the investment. Most investments over the medium to long term will pay you back. So, and you will not necessarily lose anything on. So from that point of view, there's no reason why people can't necessarily continue with their original plans. You know, what it comes down to is just what shape you were in before this happens is likely to be the, the dictating factor as as to how you come out on the other end. Okay. And before we get into your next selection, um, I just want to know your opinion on the UK standing in terms of the rest of the world. I know it's a big question. The UK standing um, in terms of the rest of the world after this 
um, lockdown is all over and after things have settled down a little bit more. So do you think the UK will still be in the same position that it was before? Or do you think it's going to have a lower position than it originally had? What is your thoughts on that? That's difficult to answer. Um, and it's because COVID and the lockdown is not the only factor that's going to impact what's going on in the UK. We're also in the middle of Brexit. And nobody knows like how we're gonna how we're gonna fare at the end of Brexit. I mean, this technically speaking, as we know, we have technically left the European Union. We were in a position where we were spending the next twelve months trying to secure trade agreements and various agreements to be in a position that by the end of the year, beginning of next year, um, we then would have the the rules of the game change if that makes sense we're still living under a lot of um, of european law even though we're not being bound by them in the same way and the idea was that we have this gestation period and then after that you know the real terms kick in well because you know all of the countries now in the world and certainly all of the countries in the western world have had to effectively put down what they're doing to deal with this disaster and this pandemic um who knows what position we will come out of Europe in come the end of the year? Who who knows? No idea. So being honest with you, I personally, and this is just my personal view, I personally think Brexit put, it, put us at a disadvantage anyway, and that's for various reasons. I don't think Britain has the clout that it used to have. I don't think it has... Um, the world power financially that it used to have. And so some of the rhetoric around what people's rationale was leaving Europe, I personally feel was flawed in places. However, we are where we are. So I don't think that's the only question. I think the pandemic will has simply delayed people asking that question so i'll be honest i don't know i don't know i can only hope that we'll be in a decent condition but i do not know okay okay let's move from the series just a second and, and get a next tune um, so your next selection is pressure love and affection why did you pick this one i just love this song i just love this song and actually I always say to people that money is my, talking about money is my second favourite subject. Um, and that's because what I don't tell them is very often that I'm a romantic at heart. And, and so actually love is one of my favourite subjects, um, if not the favourite. So, yeah, so I just I just love this song. And so there was no way I couldn't add it to the selection. OK, here we go pressure. with pressure, love and affection. The first time we kissed was breathtaking And girl, we got a bright future in the making When we are together, my heart feels so much better Girl, I need you and that's no lie 
want you to let us know all about where you know people can hear more from you because you've got such great um, wisdom to share with everybody. Um, but but firstly, um, are there any books we were just talking about knowledge? Are there any books that you read that you found really helpful when you started your journey or during your journey or even now that you would recommend? Plethora. <laughs> okay, give us a top three. Give us a top three. <laughs> um, I think okay. I would say Think and Grow Rich is a very popular one, and I think what that is about is it just gives people an insight into the mindset of you know as i say thinking and growing rich as it were um very popular book um dale carnegie um has written that book then rich dad poor dad um is another good one because that again just it you know it just uses the examples of one guy who said i had a rich dad and i had a poor dad one was his stepdad one was his biological father but he just explains the different lessons that he learned from those two fathers and how it shaped him in terms of his understanding of getting money to work for you um and actually the third one, actually, and it's a very personal book to me. I don't know how many people would enjoy it, but I just remember it, it, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, and it's called How to Be a Money Magnet. Um, and again, that's a book I originally read now about a decade ago. Um, still have it on my bookshelf every so often, have a little thumb through it. But again, it just talks about our relationship with money and i think a lot of people don't don't necessarily understand that that's a real it's a starting point but the very first question to ask yourself is what is your relationship with money because just like any other relationship it's a relationship that needs to be understood and nurtured and i don't always think that as individuals we think that way so for example i'm very clear on what my financial personality is and that actually shapes a lot of the way that i go about things so for example um i am a spender I listen I don't think there was any amount of money that somebody could give me that I couldn't find a way to spend not possible and I could spend it fast wow okay I mean right now even if someone said to me today I'm going to give you a million pounds I'm giving you one day to spend that million pounds listen it's done by tonight I promise you down to the penny (laughs) I'd probably find myself in a position where I want to spend a million and a, a, a million and an extra hundred grand thinking, oh, Lord, I've run out of money. Mm-mm. I'm not, I've got no problem when it comes to spending money. It, it's almost like it's in my DNA. So because I understand that characteristic about myself and I know that I'm a spender by nature, I'll give you a very good example, something I don't do. I don't window shop ever. Oh, you just don't put shop- the temptation there. Is that what exactly. it is? Exactly. Yeah. window shopping for a spender is shopping <laughs> it's not window shopping do you know what i mean yeah. the only time i'm gonna go to the shop and come back with nothing is when i can't find what i wanted Mm-mm. do you get what i'm saying but that's my personality and i know that about myself you know some people are a bit more of a scrooge and, and i'm not even saying that to be disrespectful that's literally what they call it and if you have a scrooge personality obviously you're much more likely to hold on to your money 
Do you know what I mean? But why that's important for you to understand is it feeds into a lot of things. So, for example, it's not necessarily good for two spenders to be in a relationship. They can easily go bankrupt. Of course, yeah. Because they're just both spending. Whereas you put a spender with a Scrooge and actually you'll find that they may start to meet a little bit in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Balance each other out, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... Like I say, that book for me made me think about that. It made me think about what's my relationship with money and what is my financial personality. And when you start to understand what those factors are, it allows you to construct your habits in a certain way. So, you know, I know that if I if I go to any, let's say, popular online retail store, I am likely to walk away with stuff and i'm not that chick who can buy one item you know i'm going to be 200 pound deep in that basket before i go yeah what's in the basket <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean before i've even, I've even thought about it i'm that person who gets to the the checkout and then goes oh by the way how much is this that's my personality so because i understand those things about myself i construct certain things in my life in order to create a checking mechanism for example so you know it it sounds silly but i will take any kind of significant purchase i will i will actually force myself to consider for say a week right you know and why because i know i'm impulse led if i forget that i wanted to buy it then i know that i didn't really want it But if I can't forget that I want it, then I'm like, okay, I do need to find a way to sort that out. So, you know, it's just little things like that. But when you get to understand it, and some of these books help you to just think those things through. Um, But yeah, so, and but there's a plethora. I mean, there's just loads. It all depends on what areas of interest you gravitate towards. And one thing I say to people is find something about money that you find interesting because then you'll be inspired to learn more about it. You know, I think there's lots of subjects that people tell us that we're supposed to know more about that we just don't really care about. Yeah, yeah. You've you've got to spark your own interest to actually, you know, make it worthwhile to yourself and to really get into it. There's no point in someone telling you to do something. As with everything in life, someone tells you to do it, you don't want to do it. But if you came across it yourself, then it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different ball game, isn't it? So... Exactly. So you've got to find your sort of own motivation within it. And then, you, you know, you latch on to that. And, and I've had lots of different monetary journeys, if you see what I mean. So at first, I was just a bit like, what is money? And then I was like, well, what is economics? And then it turned into, well, what is the dynamic of relationships with money? And how does that impact us? And all this. And then what about beliefs around money? And then what about the banking system? And then what about the stock market and you know i just have different things that pique my interest that i research at different times i mean i'm in a space at the moment because i'm starting to do a lot of couples coaching around money i'm very interested in the dynamic that money creates in relationships so you know i've done a lot of research around that i've read about four books on the subject you know and then take an anecdotal evidence as I'm looking at people's relationships and one thing I know is you can't fundamentally change somebody's belief system around money if they're going to change they have to do that themselves but most couples don't understand that they have very different belief systems so you know that's now what I'm sort of doing and I'm coaching couples to understand that about each other so that they can set financial goals together 
with that in mind, where can people hear more about you? Um, you know, are you, have you got stuff on social media that people should be searching for? Um, obviously, I'm going to leave all of your links in the description. But if you just wanted to tell them a little bit about what's going on with you at the moment, that'd be great. Yeah, that's cool. So Financial Style is my radio show. It airs on Saturday mornings um, on New Style Radio, which is uh, based in the Midlands for people who are outside of the Midlands or struggle to listen to it live because it starts at 10 o'clock and runs until 12 noon. Um, copies of the show go up onto my Mixcloud account, which is simply forward slash Financial Style. Um, I'm on all the socials and you can find me under Financial Style. Um, and my website is mauritiastevenson.com and on that website you can see details of the um, online courses that I, well, the online programs that I do, the coaching that I do and the couples coaching that I do. Perfect. And just before we play your last selection, do you have any final words of advice that you'd like to share? Maybe nothing to do with money. It could just be a bit of positivity, a mantra, affirmation that you use, anything that you, like your last words that you'd like to share with the Reggae Uprising podcast family. Do you know what? Because we talk so much about finances today, I will make it a money one. And Here's my suggestion, and this it might sound like the hardest thing to do, but if you can train yourself to do this, it really will change your life. Stop worrying about money. Point blank period. Worry is negative energy, and anything that we focus on magnifies. So... If you place negative energy around your money, around how you think about money and how you interact with money, you will have more negative experiences with money. The mantra that I tell myself and have told myself for many, many years, and it's not always related to money, but I always use this. As soon as I feel that notion of worry coming on, I stop myself and I go, no, remember, you will always have what you need. Always. And when you tell yourself that, and when you absorb that into your psyche, and when you believe that, you always do. I've been self-employed for continuously for so many years I can't add up, about 15 years now. And somehow, I always have what I need. So I say to people, stop worrying about money. Reprogram your thought process around money. Money is only a resource. It is only a tool. And if you tell yourself that you will always have what you need, don't get me wrong, you have to do what you know how to do to make things happen. But if you tell yourself you will always have what you need and you remove the negative energy around your money, your relationship with money will change. What wonderful advice to finish off with. Um, your final track is Coffee Toast. Why yeah. did you choose this selection? Do you know what? 
actually, when I really thought, so there's two reasons for this. Number one, most of my selection today has actually been some old school tracks because I really do love old school reggae. It's what I grew up on. Um, but actually, it's nice to remember that we do listen to the, some of the new stuff. And I have to say that, you know, my, uh, my other half decided to remind me of that. But the other thing as well is that um, coffee and well, coffee herself marks the future. And she's a rising star, and it's so beautiful to see a young woman who is about to take this industry by storm, who already has made her mark, has won her Grammy, has really created a name for herself. And just thinking about how we move forward, it's nice to think of us moving forward into positivity, and I think she represents that. And the second reason is, obviously, uh, one of my hats is journalism and i speak a lot as part of my living and believe it or not the word that sound engineers like to tell us to use to test the quality of sound is the word toast so it has a um a twofold i suppose um significance to me and i thought it was just a nice way for us to end Perfect. Thank you so much for being a guest. I really, really do appreciate all of your time, all of your wisdom and your inspiration that you shared today with me. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me. Here we go with coffee, yeah, toast, life, as always, blessed love. Go on with it, go on with it. Yeah, Are you kidding me? Yeah. So we are coming with a force, yeah. Blessings we are reaping, we course in handful. Oh, we not rise and boast. Yeah, we give thanks like we need it the most. We have to give thanks like we really supposed to be thankful. Blessings all for my life and my thank God for the journey, the earnings, and just for the plus. Yeah, yeah. Gratitude is a must. Yeah, we see blessings fall by my right hand. What's that was for the friends that take off every load One time did sit down in a class and we both let Only set the road and we go on with the road Third for me say me me try a thing And you know it formed up to be a fire thing Now up on stage with chronic say I sing Yeah, see me all diggy soon give the higher ring Like hello brother, you say I had to shout ya Saw your post a spectacular photo Keep it burning, yes that's the motto If me the butter pass through your shot to get ball in a life man me have to thank God for the journey, the earnings are just for the plus yeah. And gratitude is a must Yeah, we see blessings fall when we right on Bust a toast to the friends we take off every load One time they sit down in a class and we go dead Only set the road and we go on with it, we go on with it That's how our blessings are for me And say me if you tell them a story That's how our blessings are for me And that's how I mean to give him the go Amid the lies and Janos and my passion ignited Got the music, me excited I'm coming like a potion mm-hmm. Blessings all for my life and I thank God for the journey, the 